If you don't know who I am, my name is Ryan. I'm the student pastor here at Cornerstone. Uh, if you're wondering where Pastor Michael is, uh, please don't get up and leave, I promise. It's just because the youth pastor's preaching. Uh, we've locked the doors in the back so nobody can run out. I promise you that. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Pastor Michael is getting the opportunity to speak at uh, a friend of his is actually getting uh, initiated into a senior pastor role at a church of his. Uh, so he's getting the opportunity to go and speak on behalf of him today. So uh, we're going to pray for him. We're going to lift him up. And we pray that the word that he delivers there uh, would impact those believers, impact those non-believers, and, and everybody in the middle. And uh, God would do an amazing work in that congregation as well. Amen. Awesome. Uh, so we are continuing our walk through the book of Thessalonians. Uh, I love this book for a few reasons. One, because it's fun to say. Thessalonians, right? It's, it's, it's not like Mark. Mark is cool, but Thessalonians, that's just fun to say, right? I love that. And this is such a cool book. Uh, it's a very short book. It's, it's one of uh, the letters from Paul. Actually, it's probably one of, the, one of the first letters that Paul actually wrote to the church in Thessalonica. All right, so uh, we not only get to we not only get to say this word because it's fun, but we get to study what it has in store for us today and what God is speaking through Paul to these people at this church. They're they're trying to get a church plant going. They're trying to get a church started in this city. And obviously, when when Paul is writing to a church, most of the time it's because they're doing something they're not supposed to. Right? They're 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 not following the word of God. They're not following Christ and everything like that. But in this part in this part. Paul is actually excited to write to them. He's actually, uh, he's actually encouraging them. He's actually teaching them, hey, you're doing great, but here are some things that we can continue on and pressing forward, and here are some things that can make, you, make what you're doing even more impactful. So last week, Pastor Michael did an incredible job of setting the stage last week with, with chapter one, and so today, we're going to dive right into chapter two. It's about 20 verses. We're not going to read them all. Uh, we're going to get through 1 through 16, and then we'll worry about uh, the less at the very, very end. So if you're able, can we go ahead and stand for the word? And then uh, after that, we will break it down. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 16. If you are ready to go, say, let's go. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. We'll start there. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or of intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to speak entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our heart. For we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy, mo greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people either, from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures, nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encourage, we comforted, we implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in those who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people for your own country, just as they did from the Jews, the ones who killed the Lord Jesus and prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. But by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, as a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you and we glorify you today. And I pray right now that these 16 verses, these, this chapter right here, that it would impact us 
and it would change us and it would deliver us today. And Father, in these next few minutes, in these next few moments that we could learn from your word today, Father, and I pray right now that you would use me in a supernatural way today to deliver your word. I pray right now that it would be less of me, more of you. And I pray for the one today that needs to know you, that today would be their day, that they would not leave without knowing their Savior today. And Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. A lot of verses there, and we're going to get through them. A lot of verses. I hope you guys have your notes today. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to those in just a second. But before we get to that, uh, I want to kind of set this up a little bit. So uh, I love this time of year. I'm a cold-natured person. Raise your hand if you like the cold. Yeah, some of y'all. And all you other people who like living in a microwave. I don't get it. I don't get it. I love this time of year. It's cold. It's jacket season. It's, it's hoodie weather. It's hoodie sweater season. You can break out the flannels and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And I love it. It's so fun. A uh, lot of things going on. Football's in the air and, and Thanksgiving's right around the corner. And I, I just, I love this type of season. Another reason I love this season is because of basketball. I'm a big basketball guy. Anybody basketball fans in here? A couple of y'all. I'm a big basketball guy. I was, I used to be good. I'm not good anymore. Um, I like to watch it and think that I could do that. You know what I'm saying? I'm that guy. Um, but I love it. I, I, I like watching any team. I'm a big Grizzlies guy. Uh, Grizzlies and Tigers, I kind of follow them. But really, I watch any, any team. There have been many times Lauren will come into the living room, and she's like, why are you watching Minnesota play Utah? And I'm just like, I just like basketball. I just like it. So um, I love basketball. It started up. The Grizzlies are not doing too hot right now, but that's okay. They'll figure it out. They will figure it out. But every year around this time, uh, they put out these lists every single year. It's the top 100 players in the NBA. And they just go down the line and they get to, you know, the top 10. And it's always, you know, LeBron and, and Steph Curry and all these players. And I love those lists. Those lists are super fun. But they also put out this other list that I find a little bit more interesting. And it's, a, it's an efficiency list. So if you take one skill from every player and put them all together in one in, into one body, they would be the most efficient player in the NBA. Now, I didn't look at theirs until I like doing the list too, because I'm a freako like that. So I made my list, and then I went and looked at their list and compared them, and mine was better, obviously. So, but I wanted to, <laughs> what I want to do today is I want to show you this list. I want to show you, this is my most efficient basketball player ever. And trust me, this is going somewhere, so just hang on for a second. Uh, over here on the height is Manute Bowl who is 7'6", that's tall, y'all. He, he, uh, he passed away in 2010, uh, but when I was in high school, I actually got to see him at a card show in, in downtown Memphis. And let me tell you something, it's like a creature from another planet. 7'6 is ridiculous. So 7'6 uh, is Manute Ball, strength, Shaq, obviously, right? Uh, clutch, Michael Jordan, Yes, definitely. Uh, passing, Magic Johnson, I believe. I think he's an uh, amazing passer. If you watch highlights, he's incredible. Uh, def defense is Dikembe Mutombo. Four-time, four-time defensive player of the year. Four times the most ever. There's some Tony Alleners out there. I hear you. I don't, it was between him and Dikembe, so get off me. Hey, this is my list. I have the microphone, so back off. <laughs> uh, Kobe Bryant mentality. Obviously, just a, a killer. Uh, I put jaw on there for athleticism because just once, I'd like to be able to jump like that. Just once. If, man, just one time if I could jump like that. Pretty incredible. Uh, shooting, obviously, Steph Curry. Uh, ball control, which is like handling and stuff like that. Kyrie Irving. And then I put scoring for LeBron because he's just bigger, stronger, faster than everybody. He could just score on you in many, many different ways. And so this is what I would consider the most efficient basketball player on the planet. So if they put all of those qualities into one player, this guy would be unstoppable, unstoppable. You would not be able to stop this guy. He'd be, it's just how incredibly efficient he would be in every aspect of the game. So I think that, I know that's kind of silly, and, and most of us will probably never make that list. Most of us. Some of you might. Some of you might. I see a couple of y'all out there that might, y'all might get the shack, like the strength for shack. Some of y'all out there, I can feel it. So silly list, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a list that I think 
we need to look at because there's also a list that we do make, and that is followers of Jesus and people responsible for spreading the kingdom of God. That is a list that we do make. As a person who calls himself a Christian, as a person who comes to church, as a person who does devotions and, and sings uh, praise and worship to Christ, we consider ourselves on a list to be followers of Christ, right? Are y'all with me this morning? Amen? And now it doesn't just stop there. We don't just get to make the list and say, yay, we're good. We made the list. No, there is, there is responsibilities that come with being on this list, Right? responsibilities of going and, and telling people about Christ to everyone that we meet. And there is a responsibility that comes with being on this list. And when we are on this list, just like these people made this list, we need to be efficient in what we are doing when we're on this list. So today we're going to talk about how can we be an efficient Christian? How can we be, how can we have efficient ministry? And I believe in these 20 verses that Paul is speaking to the church in Thessalonica, Paul gives us seven ways that we can be efficient in sharing our faith and telling people about God. So today, the title of the message is Efficient Ministry. Efficient Ministry. So Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says this right here. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without results. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Number one, how can we, be, how can we have efficient ministry? Number one, boldness. It's boldness. Boldness. You see, when Paul is writing this letter, he's coming from the city of Philippi where he was at. He was trying to, to do the Lord's work and he was trying to teach and preach and, and disciple. And when he was there, he ran into great opposition. Not just some people that were like, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Leave us alone. No, 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 no. When I say great opposition, I mean that his visit there was less than ideal. Less than ideal. Meaning he was stripped of his clothes. He was beaten with a rod in the streets and he was thrown into prison. Now, can y'all tell me that that, is, that doesn't sound like a vacation I want to go on. That doesn't sound like a trip that I want to go on. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him with rods in the streets and then they threw him in to prison. You see, he went to Philippi and tried to teach the gospel and disciple to people and raise up Christians there and start a church there just as Jesus commanded him to do. And he was met with resistance, and not only met with resistance, he was denied hard, extremely hard. Here's the thing. It was public, and everybody could see it. It was humiliating, I'm sure. Having your clothes ripped off, beaten, beaten by a rod, and then thrown into jail for trying to start a movement, trying to start a, a church, trying to start discipling people. I'm sure he was humiliated. I'm sure he was. And at the end of the day, it got him cast out of the city. He was thrown on the borders of the city, thrown out for what he was trying to do. Now, moving on to the next city, we would have certainly understood if Paul wanted to change his strategy, right? We would have certainly, hey, you know what? That didn't work there, so maybe change it up a little bit here. Do some things differently. Maybe preach some different things. We would have certainly understood because I can tell you, if every city that he went to, he found opposition and he got thrown in, thrown in jail and got beaten with rods and he got his clothes stripped off of him, he probably in his human fleshly mind was saying, this ain't worth it. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to be humiliated like this every single time. I don't want to go be beaten and then thrown to jail to every city that I come to. But here's the thing, Paul didn't change his strategy. Paul didn't change what he spoke. Paul didn't change the way he did something. It says that he was bold. He was emboldened by our God. See, 
Christians today, and I believe it, and I'll throw myself in that category today, when we run across a little opposition, when we run across a little suffering, what's the first thing we do? Ooh, that ain't for me. I don't want no part of that. That hurt too much. I'm not getting involved in that. I'm not, mm-mm. A little suffering, I'm not good with that. I don't like suffering. The deep end is too deep for me. I'll stay up here where it's shallow. I'll stay over here. But see, God's not called us to stay in the shallows. God has called us to be bold. He says, no, 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 no. I am giving you boldness to go into the deep end, to go into the places where they don't know Christ. To not only do that, but to go into the places where they don't want to hear you talk about Christ and talk about Christ. Why? Because nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. He gave them the boldness to go from Philippi where he was beaten, thrown into jail, and then eventually thrown into the city. And he says, no, we're not changing a thing. We're going to go to the next city and we're going to preach the same gospel. We're going to preach the same God. We're going to preach the same Holy Spirit. And we're going to see what happens there. We are going to be bold. You see, guys, when we run across opposition and we run across a little suffering, what we don't need to do is the enemy wants you to go this way and say, no, I don't want that. But God wants you to say, I'm stepping through it anyway. I'm stepping into it anyway. I'm stepping into it anyway. My favorite verse, James 1, 2, it says, consider it pure joy when you go through suffering. What's that tell me? That sounds so backwards. You mean to tell me I have to smile when things hit the fan? Yeah, because it's hitting the fan for a reason. Why is it hitting the fan? I'm gonna tell you right now. 1 Peter 4.12 says this. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal come among you to test you. Check this part out. As if something unusual were happening to you. Don't be surprised and act like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. I went and I tried to speak uh, the gospel to this person and they turned around and they, they, they cussed me out. I can't believe that happened to me. No, 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 no. The, the, the scripture's talking about, he's like, expect it because it's going to come. Expect it because it's going to come. If you are working for the kingdom of God, expect the kingdom of darkness to come against you. I'm going to say that again. If you are working for the kingdom of God, expect the kingdom of darkness to come against you because the enemy doesn't want what you're doing to happen. He's going to do everything he can to push against you. He's going to do everything he can to push against your call and your ministry and what you're trying to do in discipling people. He's going to push back. But here's what we got to do. We got to push back. We got to say, no, no, no. Nothing on earth is going to stop me from delivering the message of God. We got to be bold. We got to be bold. Why were they bold? They were bold with the gospel because the content they had was critical. They were bold with the gospel because the content was critical. They knew what they had and they had to share it. They knew what they had and they had to share it. And that goes right into number two. Number two, they were sincere. They were sincere. Thessalonians 2, three through six says this. It says, for our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive, Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. And we never use flattering speech, as, we, as you know, or we never had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. They did not have an intent to deceive, meaning two things. They had a genuine understanding of why we do what we do a genuine understanding of why we do what we do. Number one is to please God and not people. It's to please God and not people. Efficient ministry knows who we serve first. Efficient ministry knows who we serve first. This is, this is the part where it talks about, do works get you to heaven? Well, no, but that doesn't mean we don't do them. Works don't get you to heaven. The only way to get through heaven is through, is through Jesus Christ himself and having a relationship with him. That's who we serve first. We serve Jesus. We serve Christ. We serve our Lord first. And when we get that relationship right, then it says, now don't just sit there and wait for Jesus to come. Go and serve others. There has to be an order to this. There has to be an order. It come, we have to come with sincerity. 
We have to come with a sincere heart, not to take advantage of people. We're not here to do that. We're not here to take advantage of people. We are here because we know who we serve first. Efficient ministry knows who we serve first, and that is God. And we do not take advantage of people. We never use flattering speech. Flattering speech. What is flattery? Flattery is I tell you what you want to hear to get what I want. That's what flattery is. I tickle your ears and say some cool things from the pulpit to make it sound good. And you go, ooh, that sounded good. I like that. That's not my job. My job is to tell you things that you need to hear, not what you want to hear. It's what you need to hear. I'm not up here to flatter you and, and to honestly, like, you know, I'm not up here to be your best friend. I'm up here to tell you what the, what the word says because the word convicts. I can't, Ryan can't do anything. But I'm up here to tell you about a word and a God that will, that will walk in truth and grace and love. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's not. But at the end of the day, he loves you. It's not about flattery. It's not about me getting up here telling you what you want to hear to get what I want. It's me telling you what you need to hear so that God can use you for the betterment of his kingdom. Amen? And greed. I'm not here for your money. I'm not. There's a lot of pastors out there that are here for the money, but I'm not. I'm here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to share with you a gospel and a God that loves you and cares about you and wants to have a relationship with you. That's what I'm here for. We're not here about greed. We're not here about money. We're not here. Now, money is important. We need to do it in a biblical way, and we need to understand that, what the, what the scriptures talk about when it comes to financial and, and handling money and tithing and offering. We need to have an understanding of that. But me, right here today, I'm not here for your money. I'm here to tell you what you need to hear. We don't need to take advantage of people. When we're out and we're doing things and we're telling people of Christ, we're not here, we're not out there to flatter people. We're not, there, we're not out there to take advantage of people. We have to go in with a sincere heart, a sincere heart. The truth is, salvation, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus are free gifts. They're free gifts. And even if it did cost something, we could never afford it. We could never afford it. So we come with a sincere heart. Number three is gentleness. Number three is gentleness. Thessalonians 2.7 says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. Gentle. We have to be gentle. See, gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. See, here's the thing. It's not one of the fruits, because the fruit of the Spirit is not multiple fruits. It's one fruit, and we operate in all of it. So gentleness is just a part of the fruit of the Spirit that we are supposed to display every time we come in contact with somebody. Gentleness, I love this part right here. Gentleness is described here like a nursing mother. Like a nursing mother. Now, I've never been a nursing mother, obviously. <laughs> but my wife has three times now. And I've watched Lauren do this time and time again. And remembering back, this makes sense to me now. Remembering back and, and watching all of this unfold right in front of me, it makes sense to me now. See, a nursing mom sees and anticipates needs and then gives of herself to meet those needs. Sacrificially, at three in the morning, right? There's a lot of things I can do. I can change a diaper. I can do that. I'm a professional. I can wipe, you know, spit up off their chin. I can feed a baby. I can clothe a baby. I can put clothes on a kid, but I can't do that. That is a sacrificial thing. At three in the morning, I remember, sometimes rolling over in bed and she's gone, and I know exactly where she is. Three in the morning, she's there, in the middle of a restaurant, in the middle of doing whatever she's doing, whatever she's got her mind on, whatever project or, or, or side gig or whatever she's doing, probably working on worship stuff to, to be here up here prepared to sing on a Sunday morning, but she puts that on hold to go and do 
what only she can do. Sacrificially to say, it's not about me. She's stopping what she's doing to make sure that the need was met. Also doing it without expectation. Expectation that she would receive something in return. Here's the truth. There would be no applause from that baby. That baby ain't writing her a thank you note. <laughs> There's no receipt afterward where, you know, just go ahead and fill this out. Tip if you need to, just go ahead. There's none of that. More often than not, what's that baby gonna do? That baby gonna fall asleep, right? Receiving it with no expectations. Doing it, understanding that she's not going to receive anything in the end. But I'll tell you what she did receive. The gift was watching this child grow. That was the gift. Watching this child grow up and become stronger and become stronger. Watching them connect. So we have to have this mindset for people. Sacrificially with no expectations or IOUs. Guys, let me, understand, let me help you understand something. Serving others doesn't mean you give them an IOU. Serving others means I'm doing this for you regardless of what I would get in return. That's a sacrificial serve right there. Sacrifi sac being a sacrificial server means I'm doing this because God has told me to and I love you. I'm not doing this because of what you're gonna give me on the back end. See, people that serve me, I don't go up to them two years later and be like, hey, you remember that meal train we did for you guys two years ago? Time to return the favor. No, no, no. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. It's a sacrificial mindset to say, I'm doing this because I love you and I care for you and I'm not expecting anything in return. Guys, we got to do this for people who out there who need to hear Christ. We got to serve people with no expectation that we're going to receive something in the long run. That's a sacrificial, just like a mother nursing her child. That's the way we need to be for people. So we've talked about gentleness and being sincere, but here's the truth. Gentleness can only be sincere when it comes from a place of love. Gentleness can only be sincere when it comes from a place of love. That's number four, love. First Thessalonians 2.8 says this. It says, we cared so much for you. Some, some versions say we loved you so much that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. We loved you so much. We had to share this with you. We loved you so much that we had to share the gospel of God with you. We had to. And not only that, we loved you so much, we had to share what it's done for us. We had to share our story and our testimony. We loved you so much that we cared for you so much, we had to share this with you. Now, here's the kicker. John 1.17 says this, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. Can we agree that Jesus is love this morning? Come on, y'all help me out here. Can we agree that Jesus is love? Yes. So that we see, so now that we see that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, can we agree that love is also grace and truth? Can we agree with that this morning? So love is grace and truth. We have to learn to operate in both. And let me explain what that means. Perfect love requires a firmness and a kindness that comes only from the Holy Spirit. A firmness and a kindness that only comes from the Holy Spirit. A firmness to say that there is a standard by which we live now. We don't live like other people. We don't live like people in the world. We have a standard now. And it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the standard that we live on. That is the standard that we stand on. It even says, I'm going to stand on this rock. This is what I stand on now. There is a standard. There is a, there is a limit. There is a starting point for us now. And we are not going to move off of this. Here's the boldness. The bold, if we didn't have boldness in our life, that line would move. But we have a boldness to say no. This is the standard that we live with now. 
but I call myself a Christian, this is what I hold myself to now. That is the truth. A firmness to say, I'm not moving off of this. But we also have a kindness to say, I'm going to meet you where you are and walk with you until you can reach this standard. That's the kindness. See, here's the truth. Truth without grace is harsh. Truth without grace is harsh. It hurts people. It drags people down. See, what I, what I try to teach our students is the difference between condemnation and conviction, two big churchy words, condemnation and conviction. See, here's the difference. Both of the times you fall off the back of the boat, but condemnation lets you drown. Conviction throws you a lifeline, and that lifeline is the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. We can't convict, but we, we're real good at condemning, but we cannot do that. That we gotta have a firmness that says we're gonna stand here, but a kindness that's gonna say, I'm gonna come meet you where you are and we're gonna walk this out together. See, grace, truth without grace is harsh and it hurts people. And here's the truth, you will soon realize that nobody's listening to you. Truth without grace will get you an empty auditorium. It will, it will, your words will fall on deaf ears and nobody will be changed because of what you say. But grace without truth has no tolerance and it lowers the bar so everyone can jump over. That's what grace, grace without truth says, ah, you're all right, come on in, we'll fix it later. Ah, you're struggling with this right now? Sure, you can go lead this ministry or lead this connect group. We'll worry about that stuff later. No, see, grace without truth lowers the bar and lets everybody in. We want everybody in, but we need to also let them know that there is a standard that we live with now. And in order to get to the standard, you're gonna have to deny yourself. You're gonna have to kill off that flesh and you're gonna have to be reborn through Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me this morning? Jesus was full of truth, he was fully grace, and he was fully love. In my opinion, Jesus is the greatest example we could ever follow. When it says seek godly counsel, I go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where I go. That's where I go first. When it says seek godly counsel, there is no better example that we should follow than Jesus Christ himself. Because he operated in love, he cared enough of people to get down in the dirt with them, but he was also firm enough to say, now go and sin no more. See, we gotta be both. We gotta be fully, we gotta be fully grace and fully truth as well. Number five, we're getting there. Number five, holy life. This one's gonna be fun. Holy life. Thessalonians 2.10 says, you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. You were witnesses of how holy, how righteous, and how blameless we lived. See, here's the truth. If we proclaim the gospel, our lifestyle better back it up. If we come out and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we don't act like we're a follower of Jesus, all we're doing is pushing the kingdom of God backwards. That's all we're doing. If we say that we live one way, oh yes, I read my Bible, but then on the other way, we're living like the world, I guarantee you people are gonna look at that and be like, psh, Christians. If we're gonna proclaim the gospel, our lifestyle better back it up. If we talk the talk, we better walk the walk. I can tell you why, because people watch us. They watch us. Even right now, with all this craziness that's happening all over the world and between our borders, they're watching us. They're watching what you put on social media. Facebook warriors, Twitter titans, Instagram something. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Couldn't come up with one. <laughs> social media, you know what I'm talking about. They're watching what you say. They're watching how you act. They're watching how you live. And if we're no different than the world, why would they ever come over here and check out what we're doing? Why? I was like, oh, well, they're just out in the world living and talking and saying whatever they want to. And truthfully, honestly, they're coming from a place of entitlement. 
Just because they claim they're a Christian, they can come out and say whatever they want to. This goes back to doing everything in love. But if we're gonna proclaim the gospel, we gotta back it up. I'll say it this way. Live in such a way that it forces people to take your God seriously. Live in such a way that it forces people to take your God seriously. Let me ask this this hard-hitting question. What if somebody from your work or your friend group or your school students, I'm looking at y'all too, what if somebody showed up on a Sunday morning and they saw you serving? What would they say? Would they go, really? Him? At a door? Holding it open? That doesn't make any sense to me. Really? Her? She, she's, she's checking my kids in? I don't know if I want my kids around her at all. But her? Serving? Or would they come into this place and see you serving and they go, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I can see that. What would they say? If they walked in here and saw you at a door greeting people, would they be confused because that's not what they're used to seeing Monday through Friday? Or would they go, yep, I get it now because Monday through Friday are exactly like Sunday. How we act on Monday through Friday is exactly how we act on Sunday. Something to think about. Are we living a holy life? Are we? Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12 says this, For you know that we dealt with each other as if you are a father. Deals with their, let me read that again. It says, Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12 says, this for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into the kingdom of glory. So earlier we talked about motherly instinct and what mothers can do. Now we're gonna hit the dads. Y'all excited? Me too. So number six is fatherly, fatherly. And I see this from, I see this from three different angles, all right? Three different angles, coming from behind, coming alongside, and then leading from the front. Let me say that again. Coming behind, leading from the, or coming alongside, and then leading from the front. So we just finished up soccer, uh, this is our third year, fourth year, third or fourth year. I can't really remember. One of them. They all kind of run together. Third or fourth year uh, playing soccer. So Bryn, or Braylon is, is playing in her league, which is like up here. And then Brooks is like the next league down. Brinley's not quite there yet, but she so badly wants to be there. She just runs out on the field and does whatever she wants to. So and she's funny. But we're playing soccer and they love soccer and, and they're, getting, they're getting better at it all the time, which is so cool to see. But I can remember our first year playing soccer and they did not want to play soccer because they were terrified and they were scared and they were like, we don't know what to do. And we we're like, we don't either. So um, soccer's not my thing, but we're going to go try it anyway. And I remember getting out, getting out there on the field and they had already done the practices, some practices, but now it was time for the game and they're nervous. They're in the back seat. Usually they're, they're, you know, playing with each other in the back seat, but it was like dead quiet in the van and everybody's nervous and they're holding on to their water bottles like it's the first day of school and they're just, they're scared. And when we got out on the field, they're just kind of standing next to us like deer in headlights and they're just like, we don't know what to do. And at that moment, what we had to do was we had to come behind them and say, hey, come on, it's gonna be okay. We've been here before, remember all the practices, we, we, we've been to the practices, we know how to do this, come on. And we encouraged them and we, we pushed them a little bit and said, let's go, we're doing this. And then once they got out on the field, they were like, oh, this is just like practice. I, we, we were done, we've done this before. This is cool, this is fun. And they get out there and they're running and they're having a blast and they're kicking the ball and they're, they're running with their friends. And we're on the sidelines going, yeah, let's go. And when they make a goal, we're jumping up and down. Yeah, it's awesome. And we're celebrating with them alongside on the sidelines. And it's so much fun. And then we get in the car and they're telling us about this and this and this, like we weren't just there with them, you know? They're telling us about it and we had fun doing this and we're running and, and I kicked the ball, but it didn't go in the goal, but it hit a kid in the face and that's kind of funny sometimes. So it's just, it's awesome. 
And I'm like, that's cool. I love it. And then when we get home and through the week, I say, hey, let's go in the backyard. Let's kick the ball around a little bit. Let's get a little better. Let's practice some. See, we got our backyard set up to where we have a goal now and we have it set up right there. And we just go out and goof off and kick the ball around. And I kind of run them through some drills and stuff like that. And they're getting better and they're getting better and they're getting better. And I believe that's what Paul is telling us right here is be fatherly to the people that are, that are learning about Christ. Be fatherly to the ones that are trying to figure it out. See, we, we come behind them and we say, hey, you can do this. We encourage them. Say, hey, I know it's a big step giving your life to Christ, but I promise you it's the best step you'll ever take in your life. And if you do it, I promise you it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing. Is it always gonna be easy? No. But I can tell you, it is the greatest decision you will ever make. I'm here for you. Come on, let's do it. Let's take this step and we'll take it together. And then when they take that step, they're excited. They, they, they found new, just newness of life. And they found salvation and they've given their life to Christ. And they get baptized. And they say, the old is gone and the new is dead. But how many of you know, that's not where it stops. That's where it starts. And from that moment, now... We come alongside and we encourage and we're there when the games don't go good, but we're there when the games go well. We're there when life hits rock bottom. We're there when life is on the mountaintop. We come alongside them and we disciple them and we say, come on, let's keep moving. Let's keep going. And we're there for them every single step of life. But it doesn't just stop there. We got to go ahead of them and we said, we got to say, come on. It gets better. Just keep coming this way. Just keep living. Just keep living for Christ. It gets better. We set the example. Look, I used to be where you were, but now I'm here because of God and what he's done. If you just keep walking, come on. Fatherly, we come behind. We come alongside and we lead by example from the front. And last one, number seven, gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. Thessalonians 2, 13 says this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Notice the amount of times that you see God in this passage. Notice that. They are excited about the opportunity that's in front of them. They are excited about what they get to do. They are excited. What, they, they're excited to get the gospel to the people that need to hear it and excited to watch exactly what it's gonna do when it gets inside of them. See, we have to be sold out for Christ. Sold out for Christ. We gotta be excited about it. I remember I went and spoke at a, at, a, at, a, at a place down in Alabama one time. I was going to speak for a friend at a youth group and halfway through, the microphone went out. Now, y'all know me. I don't need a microphone. <laughs> halfway through, the microphone went out. So I just kind of set the microphone on the side right here. Michael's gonna get mad because I'm not recording. But I set the microphone to the side because I don't need one. And somebody came up to me afterward and said, man, why are you, why are you so loud? <laughs> I knew what they meant. They meant like, why are you so like passionate? I get that. But it was funny the way they said it. I said, why are you so loud? I said, man, because I believe in what I'm talking about. I'm passionate about what I'm saying. I'm not just getting up here saying whatever I want to. I'm passionate about what I'm saying because I have seen what the gospel has done for my life and where he has brought me from. And I can promise you, if you just get a little bit of it inside of you, it ain't gonna be able to hold you down. If you just get a little bit of inside of you, you're gonna be excited and you ain't gonna need a microphone either. That's what they're saying right here. We're, we are God-centered because of the passion that we have because we know, we know, we know what if you get God inside of you, if you get Jesus inside of you, if you get the Holy Spirit inside of you, you ain't gonna be able to hold it back. It's gonna come out and it is gonna be everything. Gospel-centered. They are excited about what God, they are sold out for Christ. 
It's on the forefront of their minds every single day. Is it on the forefront of your mind that there are lost people out there that are going to go to hell forever if we don't tell them about Christ? Is that on the forefront of your mind? Is it on the forefront of your mind that there are people in your family, in your friend group, in your work group, guys, students over here, there are people on your soccer teams, your band halls, the people that you eat lunch with every single day that don't know Christ and they are going to be separated from him forever if we don't tell them about it. Is that on the forefront of our mind or is that just kind of there? See, we got to be gospel centered. It's got to be everything. We are so ready to see the work of God, the work of God work in people's lives that we can't hold it in. We can't hold it in. It's got to be on the forefront of our mind. And let me put it this way. We're not here to promote a ministry. I love youth, but I'm not here to promote youth. We're not here to promote a Bible study. I love Bible studies. They're amazing. Get involved in one, but I'm not here to promote that. I'm not even here to promote Cornerstone Church. But what I am here to promote is a kingdom of God that will, that will go for all eternity. And I'm here to promote a savior that came down from the heavens here to earth to walk among us and to die on a cross that was reserved for me and you. And if you just give your life to him, you can be saved. If you just give your life to him, everything can change. That is what I am here to promote. A kingdom that is available to everyone and a king that is ready to change your life forever. Seven ways to efficient ministry. If we want to see a change in our community, if we want to see a change in our friend groups, here's the way. Here's the way. Here's the way. Can we pray today? Father God, we love you and we praise you and we glorify you. And Father God, we're so thankful for what your word says. It's not always easy to read. It's not always easy to hear. Sometimes it, it pokes and it prods and it pushes us. But Father, I'm thankful for what the word says. Because I know it's not just pushing me just to do it. It's pushing me in the right direction because of what you have called me to do. And that is deliver the gospel and the good news to the people that need to hear it. And Father, we thank you today. Here in just a few minutes, we're gonna open up our altars right down here at the front. These steps over here, they're open. We're gonna have our prayer team over here on the side. They're gonna be ready for you as well. But I wanna ask a couple of questions before we get there. If you continue reading in verse 19, it talks about the second coming of Christ. Just like every chapter in this story, in this, uh, in this, in this book, the book of Thessalonians, at the end of every chapter, it talks about the second coming of Christ. And that is a truth that we need to talk about. And the truth is Jesus is coming again. He will return. It says in his word that he will come back for his church. And I want to ask this question today. Are you rapture ready? Are you ready today? If Jesus came back right now, do you know where you would spend all of eternity? And I want to ask you today, if today you're unsure, if today you don't know, if today you have never given your life to Christ, come on, every head bowed, every eye closed, we're not looking around at this moment. If today you know that you do not have a relationship with him today, I just simply ask you, just lift up your hand. We're gonna pray for you here in a minute. Just raise your hand today, if that's you. Thank you. Maybe today you've seen seven ways for efficient ministry. And I'll tell you the truth, it's not a buffet. It's not, I'm going to pick that one and that one and carry on. No, the truth is, is we have to be all seven. And maybe today you realize that you're lacking in boldness or you're lacking in sincerity or maybe you're lacking in being fatherly or maybe you're just not living a holy life. I challenge you today that before you leave, 
Let's get right with the Lord. Today is a great day to reconnect, to rededicate your life to him. And then from here on out, saying, I'm gonna live for him and him alone. I understand things get tough. Life gets in the way. I've been there. But just because life gets in the way, it doesn't mean God's not sitting there calling you saying, come back to me. Come back to the Father. I'm here. I'm waiting for you. I love you. I care for you. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you just need to rededicate. If that's you today, just softly just lift your hand across this room. Thank you, I see you. If everybody could stand here, come on, let's stand to our feet. Our altars are open. Our prayer team is ready. And if you need one of them, please, please, please make your way over to them today. But if not, we don't want you to just stand there and and wait for service to end. Let's do what we were created to do. Let's do what we were made to do. And let's worship him this morning. Can we do that? Come on, let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you and we glorify you today. And Father God, I thank you so much for changed lives today. Reconnected lives, rededicated lives to you today. And I pray that it just wouldn't be something that stays inside these four walls, but it would be something that we take out into the world. Father, today we've learned about efficient ministry, how we can effectively do what you have called us to do. And I pray that that would go into every school, every work, every friend group, every family today. And let you do what only you can do today. And Father, we worship you and we praise you with everything that we have in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, let's worship.